Well, good morning. It is uh, Back to Church Sunday, and as I alluded to earlier, it's more than 13,000 churches across the country that are, are a part of this. And one of the things that I really think is cool, if you get on the National Back to Church website and you look at the map of all the churches that are out there, here's what you'll find. Nothing in common. Nothing other than their churches. It, every denomination, every size, every location, inner city, suburbs, rural, out in the middle of nowhere, you name it. Um, and I think that is really, really a cool Thing, that this is a way that the church, Big C Church, can be unified in Christ. It's a great opportunity for us to join with other parts of the body of Christ all over the world to reflect on the true nature of what the church, the ecclesia, the gathering is supposed to be, that expression of love, the expression of peace and hope for our friends, for our neighbors, for our communities, and ultimately for the world. You see, we the church, we're supposed to be the collective hands and feet of Christ. That is what we're called to do. We reflect Him and do the work of Him in this world. That's what He's asked us to do. As we grow in our relationship with Him, we're supposed to grow in our relationship with one another. This includes family and friends absolutely within these walls, but it goes so much further than that. It absolutely includes the street down the road and the street on the other, or the church, or the church down the road, the church on the other side of town, the church in the other city, the church in the other part of the world. This is not a competition other than to save lost souls. It's not a competition with one another about who's doing it better. It's about reaching out to the lost and saving them. And sometimes, here's the reality, we do it really, really well. And sometimes we're really, really lousy at it. We don't represent Christ well all the times. I know that many people listening have a story with the church, a history with the church. Some have an incredible personal story, of life-giving story even, if you will. Others, not so much. Some have a bad story, quite honestly. Some have a very painful story of their relationship with the church. And that obviously breaks God's heart, and it breaks ours as well. And so on behalf of whatever, whoever, however, we want to say that we're sorry that happened because God never intended for that to be the case. But what the problem is, is God's employed us to do his work in this world, and we are all human, and we all fall short. And I would love to tell you that this church or any other would never, ever, ever let you down, but the reality is we're human, and likely we will. And so we just ask for forgiveness, and we ask for the opportunity for you to extend the same grace and love that Christ extends to every single one of us, to we, the church, because we'll probably mess up again the reality is no matter what path brought you here today, we're honored that you're here. Whether you've been here for a very, very long time or this is the first time you've ever been in this place. And we're excited to get to know you and we're excited to be here together. As you saw with that slide, that is the theme of Back to Church Sunday, together. In life, there are things that are just better together. And you know that. I'm going to give you a really simple word illustration. I'm going to say a word. You tell me the thing. Go ahead. Shout it out. The thing that absolutely immediately pairs up with that word. If I say the word salt, you will say the word... See, I've trained you very well. Very good. If I say the word peanut butter, you will say the word jelly. Yeah, they go... Some people said honey. Don't, don't do that now. Batman and Robin. Absolutely. Adam and... Yeah, we had to throw that in there. We're in church, right? Okay, so last one. Hide and... Seek. Those things, they just, we don't have to think about them. They just, they just go together. And so today on this little short journey we're going to take, we're going to look 
at a guide, a guide through the letter of the book of Ephesians written by a man named Paul. Now, this letter to the church in Ephesus was written about 30 years after Jesus. So after his death and his resurrection is when Paul penned this letter to a church that he helped establish in the town of Ephesus. Now, it's a very, very short book of the Bible. So if you want to go ahead and start looking for it, you can. It's in the New Testament, so the last third or so of your Bible. And it's really in the second, two, second third, or the last third, sorry, of the New Testament as well. It's a very short book, just six chapters long, but it is a beautiful book. And the instructions and the information inside are incredibly powerful. One of the themes of that book is that of togetherness. It's something that Paul keeps coming back to time and time again. And as we debated whether or not to be a part of this, this nationwide Back to Church Sunday, one of the things we did was look at the content and, and what kind of things they were going to bring out. And it just so happens that we had on the schedule the thought of this fall studying the book of Ephesians together as a family, as a church. It's an incredible letter, and we thought it would be a good fit. And so when we began to look through this material and saw, hey, this entire Sunday is based around the book of Ephesians. Today, we're just going to highlight just a few short passages, not lengthy ones, but over the next several weeks, we're going to dive into the entire book and look at Paul's words for this incredible church and how those words to that church absolutely apply to our church and to us today. And what I love, what I think is so cool is this is the way that I love to study. This is the way that I love to teach as well. And what's really neat about it is when you look back at the original believers, the first century church, they studied in a very similar way. Now, most of us would understand back in Ephesus in the early ADs, uh, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have internet. They didn't have uh, anything really that we have today modern-wise. They didn't even have a Bible to study from. All they would have is these occasional letters that would come from this man named Paul or individual stories. And so as these people learned and grew in their faith and learned about Jesus, the way they did it was they all got together and they discussed these things. And so a letter would show up like this one from Paul and they would read this letter together and they would discuss what does this mean? How does it apply. They would wrestle with the challenges of living out their faith in Christ in the world and the culture that they operated in because that culture was very different than the teachings of Christ. And so in essence, we're following their lead as we begin discussing and wrestle with the ways that Christ invites us to live both together with him and together with each other as this group, this body of Christ we call the church. Now, Paul had spent lots of time in Ephesus, and we're going to dive into that next week um, because his relationship with this church was very, very unique. But what we can share with you today is this, that Paul absolutely knew the culture in which this church was. He also knew the challenges that the believers in this culture faced. He knew that this was a multi-ethnic group surrounded and challenged by other ideas, other beliefs, and other practices. Does that sound anything like 2019 in America. The church meeting gathered, surrounded by people of different faiths, different ideas, and different practices, definitely not all believing in the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Paul wrote this letter to instruct this little baby church, this really young church that had just been around a few years, as to who they are to become as followers of Jesus. For this Back to Church Sunday, we're going to focus on four things. These are the four Together, we find peace. Together, we can experience love. Together, we grow stronger. And finally, together, we can change the word. Now, I was reading through all this material. I, I, I liked those ideas, but for me, there was something missing. 
in all of those. And so I added just two simple words to each of those. You'll notice those as we go through. Together, through Christ, we find peace. You see, our world is seeking peace. If you've watched the news this week, you know we are seeking peace with other countries and things of that nature. We seek peace among nations, peace in our cities, peace even in our families. Some of you might be going through that right now. Peace in your churches, peace in our minds and our own hearts. So many people struggling with these difficulties. So if you would, open your Bibles up to Ephesians if you haven't already. Chapter 2 is actually where we will start, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you or open the app on your phone. We're not offended by that at all. We just assume you're taking notes. You'll be just fine, okay? So here we go. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. Christ, Christ came and preached to you who were far away, and he preached peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but instead fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, there is peace in unity, first with Christ and then with each other. We're no longer foreigners and strangers. Now, it's possible that you yourself have experienced this sometime in life, but I guarantee you've had a conversation with someone who is looking, who is seeking, trying to find a place to belong, searching for some place to be a part of something bigger than themselves. You see this in our culture a lot because people are always willing to donate money or do things for other causes that seem so much bigger than the world in which they live in. So the question becomes, where should we go? Where do we go to experience that sense of belonging? Paul is writing us in his letter that, hey, the church, the church is the place that God created, Jesus himself created for us to come to be a part of this bigger thing, this body of Christ. It's a place of belonging And it's rooted and it's established in the unity only found in Jesus Christ. See, Paul takes the beginning of the letter to write a very short introduction. And then he goes right into this issue of togetherness and unity in chapter 2. The foundational part of unity is the word grace. It's the word grace. Nobody within the faith in Christ can claim any higher status or position because every one of us as believers in Jesus are sinners in need of grace. There's nothing that separates us from anyone else. Every one of us fall into that category, sinners in need of grace. Earlier in chapter two, just before what we read, Paul emphasizes this fact that we have received this life from God only because of God's grace. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture, it's on the wall in my office, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by works, so no one can boast. This is only by the love of God. It's by grace we've been saved. When we recognize this, see in a couple weeks we're going to take this passage and we're going to dive very, very deeply into it because it is a foundational passage for our faith in Christ. And when we recognize that it's only by grace that we've been saved, it forces us, we have no choice, but to open our arms and our hearts to others in gratitude. Because we've all been where they are now. We've all experienced the same needs as those apart from Christ. We've all been offered the same gift of grace. 
And grace doesn't allow us to exclude anyone from that. No, instead, it allows us to bring anyone from anywhere at any time into His grace. Paul goes on right after that to explain in verses 14 through 16 how Christ's purpose was to unify these two major people groups. You see, in the Jewish world, there were literally only two groups of people. Either A, you were part of the covenant relationship with God born through Adam and the line thereafter, or you weren't. That was it. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. And all of us, mostly in this room, probably would fit into the Gentile category. Paul clarified this reality. He said, for himself, for Jesus, is our peace. He who has made the two groups into one. He has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between us. I ask you, where is that dividing wall of hostility today between the church and who? No different than the time of the Jews. There was a dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and everyone else on the planet. Who is the dividing wall today between the church and Fill in the blank, ponder that. You see, here's the reality. God still seeks this same unity within humanity. Believe it or not. But here's the thing, only Jesus can bring it. I don't care where your wall is. God seeks to break down that wall. If it's between political parties, it's between genders, if it's between ethnicities, if it's between whatever, God seeks to break that wall down. But he knows there's only one who can do it, and that is Jesus Christ himself. We find peace not by separating ourselves. Have you ever noticed how quickly the world separates everyone into categories? Every single one of you in this room fits into a stereotypical category that the world has set up for you. There's a reason for that. It promotes division. It promotes division. We won't find peace separating ourselves from each other or from the world, but instead only by leaning into the grace and the unity that God brings. What would happen in our lives and in our community, if the church was finally a place where people could come together in peace, absolutely the peace of Christ, and allow God to remove every single one of those dividing walls of hostility that exists within this world, I just dare you to imagine that. How would this church be different? How should it be different? I know we have a lot of work to do, but that's okay. As long as we're allowing Jesus to do the work, we'll be just fine. The second area, together through Christ, those are the words I added because he is essential to every element. We can experience love. I ask you this question. When, if you went up on the street randomly down walking into the restaurant this afternoon and said, hey, what's the first word that comes to mind when you hear the word church? Now, some of you had a word just pop in your mind. You realized I was asking you the question, so hopefully you, you came up with something. My guess is that probably you all didn't come up with the same word in your mind. It probably depends on your life experience. The association could be a positive one. You could have a positive word that you use to describe church. It absolutely could be a negative one because of negative experiences that you've had in the church or with others in the church. Likely, it's somewhere in between. But what we want to do is we want to consider this thought. What if the very first word that automatically came to mind starting with believers of the word church was the word love? I want to challenge us as a church to consider what would it take to build an inseparable bond or link between the word church and the word love so that when anyone heard that word church, including you, the first thing you thought of was the love of Jesus and the love of those within this body of Christ and then the love within spreading without to others. I know it's a tough challenge. How on earth could we ever do it? Well, I think the first step that we need to take is together. 
as the church, we have to experience Christ's love. We experience Christ's love together. Paul wraps up this description of the gospel and its work through all of human history, bringing God and man together, Jew and Gentile, everyone, all people together. He culminates, it all wraps up in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, probably on the same page you were just reading from with Ephesians chapter 2. It all comes back to God's amazing love and the life-giving work that then flows out of this love. Listen to the way Paul describes this, Ephesians 3, 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Christ is and how to know that this love and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Did you hear that description? Did you hear that description of love, the imagery that Paul uses? Limitless love of God. It's love, his love is wider, it is longer, it is deeper, it is higher than anything we can imagine. It is eternally vast, eternally powerful. Paul tells us it surpasses our ability to comprehend. It surpasses our knowledge. First century way of saying, mind blown. We can't comprehend it. We just can't fully experience it or even grasp it outside of the body of Christ. We can't do it by ourselves. You see, here's the reality. God's love is relational. It is meant to be shared. God's love dwells with his people. And guess what happens? When his people gather his love is present. Together, we can find things like support, belonging, encouragement, acceptance, strength, and yes, truth. We can speak the truth to one another in love within the body of Christ. Absolutely. Love is God's plan, and we're meant to experience it together. If all we did was show up maybe once a week, maybe twice if you're extra involved, you walk in, you sing a few songs, you shake a few hands, maybe a few side hugs, and then you walk right back out the door like nothing is any different Then we've completely missed the point of what church is supposed to be about. But I dare to ask you, what was your expectation when you came here this morning? For yourself, personally, spiritually, what was your expectation on your way to church this morning? Did you expect to interact with the Holy Spirit this morning? Did you expect to be filled with God's love this morning? Did you expect to have an opportunity to show God's love to someone else this morning? Were those your expectations or were you just coming to church? Because the reality is when your expectation, when you arrive here is to experience the presence of God and share in his love, then the course of your morning is gonna go very different. Because now, of course, you're going to be a little more open and grace is going to be a little more a part of who you are. You're going to let down your guard a little bit while you're here before God and before others. When you begin to do that, you're starting to get somewhere in understanding what church is really about because when we are able to willingly and humbly recognize the fact that you and I are messed up, I apologize on speaking on your behalf, but you are and so am I. And when we humble ourselves and we realize that we're messed up and because we're messed up, we need some help, bad. Some of us more than others, sure. But yeah, we all need help. Lots and lots of help. Then we're able to ask for help. 
We're able to ask for forgiveness. We're able to ask for strength. We're able to deepen the kind of life that we're living. When we reach that point of vulnerability, it allows us to be known by others and allows us to realize that God fully knows us. He knows anyway, but allows us to understand that a little bit. And when we're able to acknowledge our own weaknesses and our own faults, then what happens is we're able to receive support and encouragement and help from other people. And consequently, we're also able to offer acceptance and help and support from other people when they need it. And all of these things, then we're beginning to experience the transformative power of God's love in this place as he intends for us to do. I've said this passage quite often, and I I will continue to, because it's foundational to why we gather. Jesus is the author, if you will, comes from the book of John, chapter 13. By this, everyone everyone will know you are my disciples. What's this? Well, if you love each other. That is what will tell people we are followers of Jesus. Not our buildings, not our hard work, not our success or our happiness, not even how we reach out and show God's love to others. No, people will always be in doubt until they see us loving one another in a way that the world does not recognize. That is how people will know we're followers of Christ. The third thing, together through Christ, we grow stronger. Now, this isn't a mystery to anyone, this concept of strength in numbers, if you will. Um, some of you may know this. The largest organism in the world, if you read like science things online or just random articles, you've probably seen one. There's actually a debate if you're in the scientific world as to which is the largest. One is a very large system of funguses in Oregon. I didn't really find that one all that entertaining. I read it. So I went with the one that's tied for first place because it had a really cool name. Yes, its name is Pando. Isn't that a fun word, pando? It means to spread, but that's just Latin for that. It's a grove of more than 47,000 aspen trees, which are genetically identical, and they reproduce and are connected through their root system. I think we have a picture of it right here. It's located on the southwest bank of Fish Lake in Utah. This that you're looking at is pando. It's the biggest grouping of aspen trees ever identified, over 47,000 of them over 100 acres, and they are all the exact same tree in essence. It's a single root system uniting the entire forest. When you look at it, it looks as if they're all individual trees like we're used to seeing, but under the surface, they're all connected by the roots. You see the roots grow unseen under the surface of the earth, but they keep the whole grove alive all together as one big living organism. I show that to you today as a picture of we, who we are to be as believers, as the church. We're all connected to that one source Jesus. And in the face of life's difficulties and everything else, we continue to work together and grow stronger because we're all connected right underneath the surface. People see all these individuals, but we know deep down there's a greater connection. Everyone knows their strength in numbers. Ephesians 4 is the next passage, verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You don't have to look far in the wild kingdom, the animal kingdom, to find the reality that there's strength in numbers. Animals in the wild survive together. Whether we're talking about deserts or forests or oceans, it doesn't matter. Being alone in the animal kingdom makes you vulnerable. It makes you pray for other animals. So they naturally group together. Shriek in numbers for them brings literal protection. It provides for their basic needs, for the herd, if you will. 
And every, even in the early church, they found this kind of strength and companionship in numbers. They all came together and they met each other's needs. They shared everything. Luke records in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 44. All the believers were together and they shared everything they had in common. It was an incredible grouping. They believed what we're talking about this morning. For the early church and for us today, though, there's even another thing to consider. From the very beginning of time, God told us it is not good for man to be alone. We were created first and foremost to live in community, into relationship with him. And apart from that, our lives will never be what they should. But then he also said it is not good for man to be without other man, without other mankind. He created Eve for purpose of a companion. For Adam, he was alone and it was not good. In today's world, we've got all these different personalities. If you're introvert, if you're an extrovert, whatever personality test you've taken, whatever color you are, whatever title you are, whatever letter you are, you, I don't know which one you've taken. You know the routine. It doesn't matter. We were created for relationship. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody was created to do the same thing. Not everybody on, at church was created to be a greeter at the door. Some of you just wouldn't do a very good job of it. That's okay. Because unity does not equal uniformity. You see, in the world we live in, in order to be unified on something, everybody has to be of the same mind, same opinion, same everything, and that is not what God says. Difference is a key. Very different people, the church, very different people, using their unique talents, their unique passions to connect and serve and experience and share God's love as this body, the church. And as we build the community and the fellowship with each other, we will all become stronger Again, I want you to understand this isn't about just more heads or more seats filled or anything like that. Simply counting heads is not what we're talking about. It's the strength that exists in numbers. First of all, because those numbers bring more people to experience the love of Jesus. More people will get the chance to hear the incredible love that Jesus has for them and the incredible links that he went to to show them this love. More people means more influence in community, in society, all around us. More creativity, more skills, more abilities, more compassion, more relationships, more love literally being shared, more support for one another, and then more impact in the community and the world all around us. Now, I don't know about you, but the very end of that passage that we read, Paul said some words that I find pretty difficult because I sometimes struggle a little bit with this maturity issue in my faith. Paul said it this way. He said, we are supposed to attain the full measure of the fullness of Christ. That sounds really hard. I don't know about you, but for me, it does. It's kind of like the old saying, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know. And sometimes in our faith with Christ, as we discover new things, we're like, oh, wow, how was that ever going to happen in my world or in my life? All I can tell you is if you're saying those things, it means you're on the right path because you're looking for those things and God is challenging you probably with his word. We're headed in the right direction. This is God's long-term plan. It is his long-term design for our journey of transformation that he is leading us on. This is all of us with all of our giftings, all of our abilities, all believers working together so that we're being built up, so that we're unifying this body of Christ, and then we're accomplishing God's work in this world, which takes us to the very last point. Together through Christ— we can change the world. And I ask you, rhetorical question, who is your favorite superhero? Now, the reality is, regardless of whether you like them or don't, all of you at some point in your life have had a favorite superhero, one that you liked, one that you read about, one that you thought was pretty cool. We are probably living in the golden age 
of superheroes because of all of the movies and the money being spent watching said movies, they are literally everywhere. Now, I've been told all these have always existed, but I've just never heard of any of them because I was never a comic book person. You know, I I knew Spider-Man and Superman and some of the big ones, Batman and stuff as a kid growing up, but all these others I really wasn't aware of. You've got Spider-Man and Batman. You've got Captain America. Of course, you've got Captain Marvel. Never heard of Captain Marvel at all, ever, until that movie came out. Didn't know anything about it. Sorry, folks that are in that world. My bad. You've got Black Panther. You've got Wonder Woman. You've got the rest of the Avengers. You've got the Justice League. You've got the Guardians of the Galaxy. Even D- Disney makes superheroes movie- movies with the Incredibles. I know they own Marvel now. I'm talking about the Disney side, okay? You get this picture. It is an incredible thing. And what was once left to the imaginations of the pages of a small, thin little book are now being brought to life in 4D theme park rides where you can actually become said superhero. I mean, it is an incredible thing that we're going through. And everybody somewhere deep down inside seems to have something for superheroes. I get it. They're fun. Who hasn't imagined that you had some superhuman power, right? As a kid, it was probably one thing. As a parent, it was probably another. And as an older adult, it was probably a whole different one. But we've all dreamed about having those things. Most superheroes seem to fight for good. They're all messed up. They all have flaws just like us. We kind of identify with them in that. They usually are working to defeat evil and restore justice. And most of the time, their main ultimate goal is, of course, to save the world, right? That, that is usually what the process is. And those are great things. There's nothing wrong with those ideals and objectives, but I ask you or tell you, maybe that's not quite what the world needs. Maybe what the world needs a little more than more superheroes. There are a few more Mr. Rogers is. Now, I don't know how many of you grew up with Mr. Rogers. I want to see. Show of hands. How many of you know who Mr. Rogers is? How many of you know who Daniel Tiger is then if you're a younger person? Okay, all right, that is from Mr. Rogers. Anyway, I grew up with Mr. Rogers, literally live. He was making the shows when I was a kid, and Trolley was awesome back then in the day. Just so you know, that's the life that I lived. Love radio-controlled cars and trains and things like that. The reality is this. If you compare the two, raw strength, good looks, incredible physique, Okay, superheroes are going to the, the sweater and the shoes, the things that not the coolest things in the entire world. I get that. But when it comes to saving the world, the superheroes, as you know, it's all fake. It's all make-believe, you might even say. And if you're familiar with Mr. Rogers, you know he too used the world of make-believe. Why? We use it to open kids' imaginations, to tell kids stories. But in reality, he actually made a difference in the real world. So fake versus real, of course, Mr. Rogers was a real person and I'm going to have to give him that point. Superhero pride and arrogance, they all have it. Or Mr. Rogers' quiet, humble attitude. Now, if any of you have ever hung out with someone who had the ego of a superhero, you know you would always rather spend time with Mr. Rogers. Much more pleasant conversation for sure. Every day in his own soft-spoken little way, Mr. Rogers simply told kids they were special. You might remember a very key phrase that he would often use. He always would say, I like you just the way you are. Yeah. He said he got into public television because he didn't like the way kids were being treated on the rest of television and in media. And it's no coincidence, by the way, if you didn't know this, that there is a new movie coming out this fall about Mr. Rogers with some unknown actor named Tom Hanks playing the role. Yeah, think about that for just a moment. Superhero independence or Mr. Rogers' cooperativity, cooperation. Now, again, I'll, I'll admit superheroes do often have a sidekick and in the modern era have joined together, joined forces to overcome bad guys, but that leads to civil war sometimes we know that follow the movies. So which would you rather have? Mr. Rogers built his entire career out of making others feel welcome and included. He didn't put others down. He was always lifting 
people up. Our risen Savior demonstrated the greatest power ever seen in all of humanity by overcoming death. He's all-powerful. And Mr. Rogers represented that power in many ways, not in a Marvel kind of way. It's no coincidence that Fred Rogers, regardless of all the rumors on the internet, he actually was a seminary graduate and actually was an ordained pastor. And many of the principles and characteristics that he played out into his show were absolutely those of Jesus. You see, the world needs more Mr. Rogers, not because of Fred, but because the world needs more Jesus Christ. One of the things that we, the church, could really learn from Mr. Rogers is about the idea of creating a space that welcomes people in, all people, to encourage them, to dream with them, to listen to them, to walk with them. In similar ways, the church can fulfill that purpose as God's people here on earth. We can experience and live out God's love together and share it with the world around us. And when we do, we can change the world. Now, changing the world doesn't require superheroes, and it doesn't require superhuman powers. It simply requires consistent choices to follow Christ daily and then to walk together on that journey as He is the one leading us. As humans, when we think about impacting the world, all we can ever think of are big, giant, huge things that have happened, superhuman type of acts. We, we think of very famous people or very famous things done by those people. Inventors like Thomas Edison, incredibly smart people like Albert Einstein, incredible leaders like Abraham Lincoln, or even inventors, entrepreneurs like men like Steve Jobs. They absolutely have revolutionized the world, yes. But Paul tells us to be kind, to be tenderhearted, to forgive one another, and those are really simple, I didn't say easy, really simple things to do. Sometimes as simple as a question or a kind gesture or offering just five minutes to hear someone's heart about things. Even those kind of efforts, when multiplied by a room full of people consistently over time, will then begin to change into a powerful force within a church and then ultimately within a community and to the ends of the earth. I think we get too hung up on viewing changing the world as this big giant mission. We think for it to be real and meaningful, it has to have this huge impact over a whole bunch of people with impressive change. But in the later chapters of Ephesians, which we will all get to study together here in a few weeks, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he tells us exactly what it takes to impact the world around them. He doesn't describe earth-shattering events. Instead, he describes things like households, parenting, husbands and wives, children, family. Change in the world happens one person, one relationship at a time. Our choice to be kind, to show compassion, to choose understanding over judgment, to give grace instead of anger, to choose service over position, those are world-changing actions. Those are representations of Jesus in our world. They follow his example. Now, some people would ask, why would you join in this? Why, why don't we do our own thing? Why, do, why are we doing this other thing in common with people all over. Well, there's lots of reasons. Why does Back to Church Sunday matter? First and foremost, I'll tell you this. It matters because God loves you, and God sent his son to die for you, and the world will never, ever tell you that anymore. The world doesn't want you to know that you should be together with other people that love that same Jesus and love you regardless of who you are. Why does Back to Church Sunday? Well, it matters because community matters. It matters because connection matters. It matters because unity matters. Living as part of God's family matters. It's a part of who we're supposed to be. And when we pursue these things together, 
we find these four things we just talked about. Together through Christ, we find peace, the peace of Christ in our own hearts, minds, and spirits, and peace and unity among other brothers and sisters in Christ. Together through Christ, we can experience love. First and foremost, God's love poured out into us, onto us, and among us, and the part of God's community. And then his love flows out of us to our communities all around. Together through Christ, we can grow stronger. We experience the grace and we have the strength to journey together and be a part of God's greater work in the world in which we live. And lastly, together through Christ, we can change the world. We're able to to discover our purpose and plug into the ways in which we as the church can accomplish God's changing, world-changing work all around us. The concept for this Back to Church Sunday is truly incredible. And so regardless, long time, first time, welcome back to church. Our simple goal here is to love people one step closer to Jesus because that's what he asks us to do. I pray that something we do or say in some way moves you to a point where today maybe is just the beginning of a relationship with us, but most importantly, a renewal or the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. Please don't ever forget, or if you've never, ever heard about this Jesus, that God, the creator of the universe, sent his son to live an absolutely perfect life for me and for you. He came to teach us, to show us what love really looked like. He came to teach us and show us how to work with and for one another. He came to show us everything that we would need to know to get through this life, but most importantly, he came so that he could offer his perfect life up for my sinful, messed up life and for yours. And because of that sacrifice, we are able to be forgiven of all of our mistakes. But that's not where it ends because that story continued three days later when he rose from the dead, which seems impossible and it is without superhuman power. He rose from the dead so that then we can now live a new life, a new creation with him for all eternity. He now lives, we can now live lives free from the bonds of sin, free from the guilt and shame, free to live lives full of hope in a world that is hopeless as we await that day where we'll spend all eternity in his physical presence. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you, if you've never taken that free gift of grace, then I pray that today maybe the Spirit moves you to do just that. Feel free to come forward enter the prayer room, or even just stay right where you are. And after church, we'll find you. We'll go right to you as Christ came to us and share this life-giving hope with you. For some here, maybe it means just taking the next step. Maybe joining us regularly for worship on a Sunday. Maybe getting out of your comfort zone and going out there and seeing those small groups that are sign ups and go, you know, I don't really know many of these people, but I think I'd like to be a part of one of them. Great, maybe that's what God is asking you to do. Maybe he's asking you to step up and serve here within the body of Christ and express that love to someone else that's coming on a Sunday morning. Or maybe it's going to lunch with somebody you just met this morning across the room and saying, hey, I don't know you. Let's get to know each other. Share some food. It'll be a great thing. You see, the reality is there is a place in this community for every single one that God might ever bring into it. I pray that you're open to them being a part of it. Father God, as we close this Sunday out, I just thank you for the unity that we can find in you. Father, the idea of going back to church was never something you considered. 
Father, you were beginning the church. You were starting the church in hopes that anyone, that everyone would ultimately come to know your love through her. Father, in the church so many times we do fail. Father, we make mistakes. We, we don't get it just right. And we do ask your forgiveness for that. And we pray that as we move forward, we as the body of church, it's not about any one person. It's all of us as the body that have to be about sharing your love first with each other and then with anyone who we come into contact with. Father, we truly can experience your love together. We truly can experience your strength together. Father, it's incredible to be a part of the family of God. And if there's anyone here today that has never done that, we pray that maybe the Spirit today moves them to do just that. We thank you for this Sunday. We thank you for those that have gathered. It's in Jesus' name we pray.